here from the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Well, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving this last week. Continuing with the Thanksgiving theme, today's message is entitled, A Life of Gratitude and Generosity. And I believe this is part four in our series, Fully Alive, What It Means to Live the Abundant Life that Jesus has offered to us. So we're going to see today how gratitude and generosity uh, play a part in living a life that thrives and not merely survives. So let's head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Cogan. Thanks for listening. for the day. It's on the front of your program. This is Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. And this is uh, right before they go into the promised land. And God says this to them. He says, when you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land so that the, that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And when the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptian treated us, Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. He brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with all the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. It's a long passage, I know. <laughs> it's interesting when you look at the ethos of America, we have this we have some ideas that are not terribly common uh, in the rest of the world. And it really goes back to the founding of this nation. Our nation was founded by people who were rebelling against 
political tyranny, religious tyranny, and they just wanted to be able to live life without, you know, intrusion by the government into their religious beliefs or their economics and stuff like that. And and it's in our DNA as, as a people. We're, we're we Americans are kind of rebellious against institutions. Um, and this has been, become really clear in the last 10 years. There have been two landmark studies on the landscape of religion in America that have taken place in the last 10 years. Uh, one back in 2009, and then one just took place last year. And these studies have shown that, that in the landscape of American religion, the fastest-growing group of religion in America is the nuns. We're not talking Catholic nuns. Um, people who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Now, these people don't necessarily... Actually, most of the nuns are not atheists. They believe in God. They've just given up on the institution. What, what's, what's interesting as well is that they've not just given up on the institutions of religion, but they're abandoning political institutions as well. And so there's this, this mass rejection of some of the, the uh, entrenched institutions in America today. And we see this kind of thing happen throughout American history at different times. Actually, the, the vineyard denomination, I know vineyard's a very small denomination, but it, there's actually six or 700 vineyard churches in the United States and another 1,500 or so uh, outside the United States. But the vineyard church actually came to birth... Back in the mid-70s, when a guy named John Wimber, who used to uh, play with the Righteous Brothers, remember them? You lost that loving feeling, oh, that... Yes, that was the Righteous Brothers, right? Okay, I I think I sounded a little bit more like Elvis there for a second. Um, But John Wimber was was a part of this this movement that happened in the... uh, at the end of the 60s, the early 70s, called the Jesus Movement. Anybody remember the Jesus Movement? Um, Jesus Movement, there were all these hippies that began to become Christians. Millions of them. And they began coming into any churches that would take them. Now, a lot of churches didn't want all these long-haired hippie people. And so, denominations like the Vineyard Church kind of sprung up as a welcoming place. Now, you might not think it terribly uh, controversial to come into church and have a good cup of coffee and hear a rock band lead worship, but back in the early 70s, it was heretical in some circles to lead worship even with an acoustic guitar instead of an organ. Uh, but these, all these folks that came in with the, the, the Jesus movement, they were rebelling against the institutions. They wanted to follow Jesus, but they didn't want all the you know, religious trappings of mainline Protestantism and, and Catholicism. They wanted something fresh and relevant. And, man, we don't need that dead religious tradition. And that's the world of evangelicalism. I mean, you look at... Having a rock band lead worship and having coffee, there you can go to any church today almost, and that's kind of standard fare. There's nothing controversial about it anymore. Actually, actually, churches I've seen with DJs up there and <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Need more of that, Zach and Faith. Um, 
<laughs> but I, I find that oftentimes when we, we, we have a good reason for rejecting tradition and ritual. We have a good reason for rejecting it because we've seen people who were supposedly religious, pious people, and sometimes they're just jerks, and they're self-righteous and looking down their noses at the rest of us sinners, and we don't want to have anything to do with that, right? So we just throw it out altogether. We see it even in in, in in the Bible as well. How many times do you see Jesus getting in trouble with the Pharisees and the scribes over observance of a law or a tradition or a ritual and he didn't do it right? Jesus and his disciples are out picking grain one day and the Pharisees get all upset because it's the Sabbath. You can't pick grain on the Sabbath. And and Jesus says, was man made for the Sabbath or the Sabbath made for man? And we see all through the teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus that that the purpose of following the law and the rituals and all that was not an end in of itself. Like, look how good I follow the law and the rules. It was actually intended to bring human flourishing as we were in relationship with God and with one another. God wants that for us. But sometimes we elevate the very traditions and rituals that should help us into that. We we actually focus on them as the whole point. It's like focusing on the rules of baseball rather than playing the game. The rules exist so that you can have a good game, not so that you can just become an expert at the rules, right? We see this in the Old Testament as well. There's two main voices in the Old Testament, the voice of the priest and the voice of the prophets. The priest... Uh, give us the first five books of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the, the Torah. And in the Torah, you have all the laws God gave to the people of Israel uh, on how to live, what to eat, festivals to observe, Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, all that. But then you get towards the end of the Old Testament and the prophetic books they sound almost contradictory from what God said in the earlier part of the book. I mean, they don't sound almost contradictory. They sound contradictory. (laughs) The prophets say, Thus saith the Lord, I hate your festivals. What? The ones that you commanded us to follow? (laughs) I, I hate your Sabbath keeping. I hate these things, these pious acts. Why do you hate them? Because you neglect the poor. You don't care. take care of the poor people among you. You don't take care of the alien among you. We're not talking about the little gray dudes. You don't take care of the stranger in your land. You you don't seek justice. You don't live a life of mercy. And so all this other stuff that I commanded you to do, it's worthless without the heart. But we don't see Jesus or even Paul just saying, throw it all away, and that's kind of the way that we interpret it a lot as, as Protestants, evangelicals, rebels against institution. Oftentimes we're like, well, we don't need any of that stuff in the Old Testament. We don't need any rules, man. It's just me and Jesus. Man, I'm just going to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, reality is practices, spiritual disciplines are very helpful, but the point is you've got to start from the heart, The disciplines themselves, 
They don't make any difference in the world if, you're, if, if you think that, that you're just going through these disciplines to appease God or something like that. And what we see in this passage today is something about the discipline of gratitude and generosity. You know, I, I, I find a, a common misconception that I, I had for many years as a Christian about how this story began and where this story's going. I imagine when I would read the story of Adam and Eve in the first two chapters of Genesis that Adam and Eve, God creates them and they're just hanging around naked eating grapes or something. You know? I mean, just like, well, okay, they're naked, they're surrounded by animals, Adam names the animals, but it just kind of looked like, okay, they're just hanging out, literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, Adam and Eve were, were actually created with a job. They weren't just hanging out. They had a job. God says, be fruitful and multiply. Be stewards of the earth. God created this wonderful paradise, but he gave them a job. You know, work is a good thing. I'm not getting any amens here. It's, I, I know. What? I don't think I like this church much anymore. Work is a good thing. We were created to work. You're created to work. There's something, I got to tell you, one of the best feelings in the world for me is in the middle of the summer when I go spend a couple hours mowing the yard and then finally it's all done and I look over my domain with a glass of iced tea and I just enjoy that moment that's not going to last more than a day or two in Louisiana in the middle of summer. There's something about creating something, enjoying the fruit of your labors. That that thing was put in you by God. We weren't created to just sit around and do nothing. Although I like that occasionally. God did ask us to do that once a week. We're created to work. And when we look at the end of the story, Genesis, I mean, uh, Revelations uh, 21 and 22, we see that we don't all go to heaven when we die. That's not the end of the story. That's the way I was told for, for so much of my life that the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this world and dying on a cross was so we could go to heaven when we die. And going to heaven, for me, you know, from the pictures I got from culture was, was a matter of like, I'm going to be up there on a cloud playing a harp with angel wings. I'm like, that's, there's nothing really compelling about that. I kind of like it here. <laughs> the other thing that I, I heard quite often, I, I think I actually said it before worship a few times to try to get people into it. If you don't like worship, you're going to hate heaven because that's all we're going to do. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> heaven was, was, was revealed to me by so many people in ministry, well-meaning people, as it's just going to be an unending church service. <laughs> I don't know why we don't get more takers out there, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I think I'd rather be reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> But when we look at Genesis, I mean, Revelations 21 and 22, we see that the, the, the point is not that we go to heaven, but that heaven comes to earth. 
We see a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, a new heavens, new earth. We see heaven and earth joined together. We see creation restored to what it was in the beginning. We see God's original intent that human beings would be stewards over the earth. We see it finally fulfilled. What started in a garden ends up in a city, and now we are ruling and reigning with Christ. It's a job, though. We will work in the kingdom come. But it won't be work with toil. It won't be work under the curse of sin anymore. I believe that that eternity is going to be making stuff, creating stuff, discovering the wonders of God's creation, unearthing stuff, and enjoying this world. This complex, beautiful world that God created. Now, I can sign up for that. Right? Will we worship? Yes, we're going to worship. But we're not going to be a bunch of disembodied spirits, you know, hanging up on clouds. We're going to be restored. We ain't going to have these bodies that break down. And they get heartburn. You can eat all you want. <laughs> what we see in this passage, God's, uh, God tells the, the, the people of Israel, when you come into this land and you work it and it bears fruit... You're going to bring that fruit to God. The first part of it as an act of gratitude. I remember as a young Christian, I went to some churches sometimes that would have special music. Um, and by special music, it was usually as they're passing around the offering, they would have somebody sing something. And occasionally you hear a very inspirational song. You go up to the person that sang. You go, man, that was an awesome song. You say, oh, it's not me, it's Jesus. And it sounded really humble. You know, oh, it's not me, it's, it's, it's Jesus. No, that was you singing up there. <laughs> and it blessed me. And, and maybe I encountered God through what you did, but you did it. You had to learn how to sing. You had to learn how to do that thing, and you did it well. And it touched me. It's okay to be good at what you do. I mean, it's, I think it's actually good. <laughs> it's a good thing to learn how to be the best at, at what you've been called to do, how to, how to do your job with excellence, how to excel in it. That's, that's a good thing. That's God-given. But what we see here in this passage is that the fruit of our labors, we bring the fruit of our labors back to God. And when, when we do that, we're saying, God, I'm not thankful Let me say this. I'm thankful for the ability and the opportunity that you've given me to work, to make a living, and, and, and to produce something. I'm thankful for that. And here is the first of my fruit. Now, we don't give God fruit typically in here very much. Um, we give of our finances. And maybe you don't have money, so maybe you give of your time or your talents. I don't think God's terribly hung up on what you give him. I think like the apostle says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. But there's something of a discipline in this. See, this passage in Deuteronomy here, it is the beginning of a process that God would instate for the Jewish people that they would be in the habit of bringing God their first fruits every year. And this wasn't to appease God. 
Oftentimes we look at the Old Testament and we think like, damn, man, they were going through all these sacrifices to, to try to keep God happy. That's not what makes God happy. <laughs> we come to God not to get his favor, but because we got his favor. With me? We, we, we come to God with, with our first fruits not to get a blessing, but because we're blessed. And I went to... A, well, my first 10 years of being a Christian, man, when it would come to time for the offering, man, y'all are just, y'all are really fortunate here because we used to have like a 25-minute message on the offering before we got to the, the big message. <laughs> and you know this message on the offering? It was usually, if you don't give, you're going to be cursed. Or if you want God to do something for you, you better put something in the, in the offering. We're going to shut the doors. We're going to pass it around again because y'all didn't give enough. We had them count it in the back. <laughs> that's, not, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. We give because we're blessed. And when we give, it is an act of gratitude. It's an act of gratitude to God. I am so blessed. I'm giving you the first of what's come in. Because you've blessed me. It's not only an act of gratitude. It's an act of trust. Because we'd like to live on that, on everything that we bring in. And sometimes, I mean, that's just reality. Sometimes we don't have much left over. But I, I would tell you, even if you're struggling financially today, even if you, you can't give something financially, find out a way in your life to give of your life. I may not have money, but I'm going to take out a couple of hours this week to go volunteer at the food bank. I may not have money, but I got some talents. I want to go, uh, you know, for me, like I can play music. I'm, I'm going to go play some music for somebody <laughs> or teach them music. Teach them the wrong way to play music. Like. Disciplined gratitude is a formative process. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And I got to tell you, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays in the year. And I think partly it's because I don't have to do anything. Like when it comes to Christmas and Easter, those are, you know, stressful times for pastors. But Thanksgiving, it's, it's the, nobody expects the church to do any services during Thanksgiving or anything like that. And so this last week, I went to my dad's house and... I just did a whole lot of nothing except eat, you know, and sleep and eat and sleep. And I love Thanksgiving, though, because it is a time where everybody in America sets aside some time just to get together with the, the ones they love the most, their friends, their family. And what do we do? We share a meal and we eat way too much. And we have to take a nap because we ate so much. And then we usually get up and eat again. I have to take another nap. But we do this. Why do we do this? To thank God. We are rejoicing in the bounty that he provided. And we are, there's something spiritual about coming together and reflecting over our lives. How do you keep your life from being rote, religious, dead tradition when it comes to giving? By remembering God. I love this little part here in this, this uh, passage today. That God says, when you bring the offering of your first fruits, here's the script of what you say. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean, 
And he found himself a, a stranger in a foreign land. But God blessed him and prospered him and made him a people. And they go through this whole story that gets them from there to here. You want to you wanna practice uh, giving in a way that's not motivated by guilt and is not just dead religious tradition? Remember God. In the Old Testament, they remembered, they went back to Abraham. But here we are going into the Advent season, and we remember Jesus. We remember how there's this, this young couple, Mary and Joseph. They weren't on anybody's radar screen. They weren't, they weren't picked out to be the best and brightest, the, the world changers. They're just a teenage couple in an obscure part of the Roman Empire. And the angel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. And it's going to be the son of God. And when we see the Christmas story, Jesus is born not in a palace among the the power brokers and the movers and shakers of society. There's no fanfare. E-Network is not showing up to, to cover the birth of Jesus. Instead, we see Jesus born in the humblest of circumstances, in a stable, surrounded not by dignitaries, but by oxen and sheep and shepherds. And yet we see that that, that Jesus has God's favor. And this is the way that God overturns the darkness of the world. When we give, we remember that story. Because that's our story. We all have ways that God has moved in our lives. And I'm thankful even in this last week or so, I've been thinking a lot about how God has has blessed my life and blessed my family and all the things that my heart is filled with gratitude for my own story. But my own story is, is wrapped up in a much larger story. And this story is important. It's important for us to remember because you may come into a life, a time in your life where you feel like Mary and Joseph where you're just poor, or maybe you feel like Abraham, you're a stranger in a foreign land. You may feel like things aren't going for you. We remember this story, though, because it shapes our lives. It forms us. It gives meaning to everything we do, even our giving. And so when we give to the Lord, if you want to keep, and when I say giving to the Lord, I'm I'm talking about I, you know, in the Old Testament, they actually had priests. We don't have priests in the... Some, some churches have priests. But under the New Testament, there's no sense of priest. Our, our, our only priest is Jesus. I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. I try to help people move towards God, but I'm not the go-between between you and God. Jesus is, is, is your go-between. He's your high priest, okay? In the New Testament... We don't have temples because, as Paul said, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God, us as a community. This is where God dwells, in our hearts. But we do see in the New Testament that there are people who are called into vocational ministry. Pastors, prophets, apostles. There is something cool about when I look back over this last year, the, the, the things that we've been able to do in this church beyond just pay the bills and 
take care of those things. We've been able to be a blessing to flood victims. We've been able to, to be a, a blessing to, to hungry people. We've been able to, to do things that have touched this community. We're announcing something here in, in another week, a, a microfinance thing that, that we're they're doing a special thing of matching funds where they can turn our $1,000 that we got from Change for Change into uh, $4,000. And we're going to help people in other countries who don't have much, not just get a Band-Aid on their circumstances, but actually learn how to, 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 to actually make money, make a living. I look at the things that we're able to do together. This isn't the temple. I'm not a priest. And I hate even talking about these kinds of things because, I mean, obviously I benefit from this and, and I, <laughs> in a way because this is my salary. And I'm not saying any of this because we're in trouble financially or anything. So I want you all to wipe that out of your mind. But we give, as Apostle Paul said, we give. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do it to the glory of God. And I think the important thing is not whether you give it to this church, a portion of your first fruits, or whether you find a need in this community to help out. And there's a lot of times, even with our own offerings from my own family, where we're, we're, we're ready to give it to North Shore Vineyard, and yet we come across a need in, 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 of somebody in this church, and we just try to help meet that need. But whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. We do it as participants in this story that God has, has invited us to be a part of. And we do it with gratitude. And we do it with trust in God. You know, we're coming into this Christmas season. And you're going to get bombarded. You're already getting bombarded <laughs> with advertisements by marketers. People who want you to be formed by the desires of the culture and the society around you. People who want you to worship at the altar of consumerism. You've got the temptation in this season to just get completely caught up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas wrapping, <laughs> parties, bad traffic on the North Shore. We can get distracted by all of that stuff. But I say as we enter into this season, let us do it from a place of remembrance. Let us remember Jesus. Let us remember not just what Jesus did, but that we've been invited to participate in this story through our own generosity, our own gratitude, our own trust. And let these next few weeks not just be about going mindlessly through the expectations of our cultures, but let us be transformed from the inside out by the gracious generosity of our King who stepped into our world and became one of us. Why don't you stand? Oh, right on the dot. <laughs> Lord God, as we move into these coming weeks of celebrating the Advent, you're stepping into our world, 
showing us Emmanuel, God with us, Lord. God, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you with our words, but we want to say thank you with our lives, God. And we want to say thank you even with the blessings that we have earned from our own jobs, our own hard work. We thank you for the opportunity to work. We thank you for the gift of labor. And we want to give back to you, Lord. Lord, help us to find our stories and your story in the next few weeks. Rescue us from the forces of consumerism, of busyness. Lord, help us to settle down and be with you and participate with what you're doing, Lord. We just ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you need some prayer, you can come out to the front. We'd be glad to get some members of our prayer team up here to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.